You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so we are in week number five of a set of sermons uh, that we've just called Disciple. Uh, Disciple. And uh, going back to the first week, we've tried to work through what is a kind of a working definition. So when we think about the word disciple, we're all seeing and sort of thinking the same thing. And so we've just been using this definition. A disciple is someone who's becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. A A disciple is someone who's becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit that's, that's in us, that's, that's working in us. And so one of the ways that we just sort of sum up, like what, what do we do around here? Like if you're just a part of Stonegate, what, what is it that we do? This is what we do around here. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. So we, we've said this all along, and I just want to say it again just to help sort of just beat this into the culture of our church. If all this building is is a place for us to enjoy and sort of call home, then this building would be a waste because this building was never meant to just be a place for us to enjoy and just be a place for us to call home. It's also meant to be a base for mission, a base from which you and I get to point our lives out there into the world and get about the work that Jesus has called us to do out there in the world. And Jesus clarifies what that work is in Matthew chapter 28. This was week one. That work is We are to make disciples. That's sort of the marching orders that Jesus gives the church, to to make disciples. Every single disciple of Jesus has been given the task of making more disciples of Jesus. That's every single one of us. And we've said this over and over, and I just want to say it again just so that maybe when you're taking a drive somewhere and you're just thinking about your life, you'll just, the, the Holy Spirit will just spark this thought in you again. We have nothing better to do with our lives than make disciples. I just hope that more and more we as the people of God are believing that. We have nothing better to do with our lives than to make disciples. Nothing better to do with our lives. And part of what we have been doing over the last four weeks, this is our fifth week, and over the last several weeks, we have been working at trying to bring clarity to to what are those those sort of aspects of disciple making that are in particular very important to us as a church family. So in some ways, I think of it as if you look at that you know, definition of a disciple, a disciple is someone who's becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. We're trying to bring clarity to those three words, all of life. That's a big banner, right? All of life is like an, an all-encompassing sort of view of life. So, so what are the things under all of life that we as a church family are paying special attention to? that we are in particular pursuing as a church family. Um, When I think of it, uh, like if we're going to ask the question, are we making disciples? And if we're making disciples, what would those disciples look like? These are the five areas, those particular sort of attributes or marks that we as a church are paying particular attention to. And here they are again. You can see them in those five icons. Those icons are the shorthand for these. A disciple enjoys Jesus. That's the first one. A disciple needs the gospel. A disciple lives in community. And Ryan, by the way, did a great job of unpacking that last week. I'm just so thankful that we have multiple voices that can stand up here in front of you and like open up the scriptures and make it come to life. Ryan did such a good job in that uh, last week. A disciple lives in community. Today, we're going to cover this one. A disciple 
multiplies. And then lastly, a disciple embraces risk. Every time you walk down that hallway right over here, I hope you'll just take a look at those five marks up on that wall and be reminded. These are the measurables. This is what we're going after. Under that banner of all of life, this is what we're asking God to make us as a people with these sort of marks being evident in our life. So today we're going to kind of unpack and sort of work out this theme of a disciple multiplies. And this is what I'd like to do today. I want to take you to one place where Jesus addresses a multiplication in the New Testament. And then I want to take a step back from that and do sort of a biblical survey and just allow you to see this sort of theme of multiplication in the Scripture. And then we'll spend the last few minutes applying it this morning. So uh, we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible out, and I hope you have your Bible out where you can see it, Mark chapter 4. This is one of those places where Jesus teaches us and shows us his heart for multiplication. Mark chapter 4. This is in verse, verses 30 through 34. You just heard them read, but let me reread these for us. And Jesus said, this is in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? So we're thinking about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is addressing. What can we compare the kingdom of God to? What is, what is the kingdom of God like? With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? He's trying to give a living, breathing picture of the kingdom of God. This is, this is what life under his reign and rule looks like. This is his kingdom, right? What can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Here's the, here's the picture, he says, verse 31. The kingdom of God, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word of God to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So what is Jesus' point in this parable? Jesus is the king, and he is talking about his kingdom. He's talking about the sort of reign and rule that, 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 that he is setting up. He's talking about his kingdom. And he's describing his kingdom, and when he's doing that, he uses this parable or this picture. He says, take this, take this grain of a mustard seed. Now, that would be like proverbial sort of a way of talking about something very tiny. Like every one of the audience, when he said, um, think about a mustard seed, instantly thought of one of the smallest things they could think of. So, so that's the point. He's saying it, it's, it's something small. Think about a mustard seed. And then he says, th think about what that mustard seed then becomes. You plant that little seed, and then you wait a few years, and it grows, and it grows, and it multiplies, and it grows. And all of a sudden, you have this tree now that's bigger than all the other plants in the garden. So, so do you see the picture? J Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It starts off as something small and insignificant. You would look at it and just think, it just, it's not a big deal. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it, what it looks like when it starts, something small and insignificant. But then it grows, and then it multiplies, and then it becomes something huge. This is Jesus' point here. What starts off with such humility grows into something huge and large and that is significant. This is Jesus' point. The kingdom of God grows by multiplication. It starts small, humble beginnings, grows into something with incredible size. It's huge. The kingdom of God grows by multiplication. That's the point of the parable. Humble beginnings 
multiplication, growth, huge ending. That that's the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus is saying. That this is his picture. This is his parable to describe life in his kingdom. Now, I want to take that word multiplication and just with you do some work in the scriptures with it. Multiplication is a big biblical theme. It's just woven into the scriptures. In a lot of ways, when you, you, know, when you open the scriptures and you begin to read them, what you find is that multiplication isn't just woven into the scriptures. It's woven into the world that God made. So just start with me in Genesis chapter 1. You can flip to the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Multiplication is woven into the world that God made. In Genesis chapter 1, it's interesting, on the third day, if you're just following down in Genesis chapter 1, God creates vegetation and plants and trees on the third day. But, but he doesn't just create vegetation and plants and trees. He creates them in a very unique way. He loads these, these plants and trees, this vegetation, with seeds so that he's not just constantly creating himself new, new vegetation, new plants, and new seeds. He loads them with seeds so that they can multiply and bear fruit. He tells them they're going, to, they're going to bear fruit according to their kind. Then you get to the fifth day, and God creates animals on the fifth day. This is in verse 22. And he looks at the animals that he's created, and he creates them in a certain way so that they can multiply. And then he looks at them on day five in verse 22 and, and says to the animals, I'm going to bless you, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. What we're seeing just in the opening few verses of Genesis chapter 1 is, is we didn't create the idea of multiplication. God created the idea of multiplication. And he's woven that into the world that he's made. Then you get to the sixth day. And on the sixth day, God creates our first parents, Adam and Eve. And do you remember what God's first words are to our first parents? You see them in verse 28. This is the first time that we have recorded that God opens up his mouth and he speaks to human beings. And, and the first four words that he says to, to human beings go like this in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is woven into the world that God's made. Now you, you flip over to Genesis chapter 3, and our first parents sinned against God, and their hearts grew dark. And then their dark hearts were passed on to their kids, given to their kids. And then that dark heart given to their kids was given to their kids' kids, and then their kids' kids' kids, and so on and so forth. And eventually that dark-heartedness, that, that sin spread to such a degree that God's heart was so grieved that in Genesis chapter 6, God sent a flood and wiped mankind out. But in his grace, he rescued a remnant, Noah and his family. And then do you remember in Genesis chapter 9? What God says to Noah and his family when they get off the boat, he says the exact same thing that he said to our first parents in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then you get to Genesis chapter 12. God calls this man named Abraham, and he calls him to leave where he is and go to a new place that God was going to take him. And in this courageous act of faith, Abraham says yes to God. And God looks at Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, now he didn't even have a son yet, but God's looking at him and saying, now I'm going to carry the burden of multiplication in the Bible. 
I'm going to carry the burden of multiplication for you. I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the, on the, sea, you know, on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be, Abraham. It's a multiplication promise. By the time you get out of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and you turn to Exodus chapter 1. It's the second book of the Bible. Just flip over there to Exodus chapter 1. The people of God are, are uh, in Egypt. And when you open into Exodus, open the book of Exodus, they are being enslaved in Egypt. And even in their slavery in Egypt, you see the theme of multiplication rise out of the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and all of that generation. When you're reading the story of Exodus, that's kind of that uh uh-oh moment. That's probably not going to be a good omen. Then you get to verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Even in their slavery, God is saying, I'm going to carry the burden of multiplication. You see God's heart for multiplication. You see multiplication that's woven into the world that God's created playing itself out even in their slavery. God eventually rescues them from Egypt. If you know how the story of Exodus goes, if you read through that, he he rescues them from Egypt and he is moving them and eventually does move them into a promised land. And he gives them his law in the promised land. It's almost like a recreation of Genesis 1 and 2 where God recreates the Garden of Eden, that the promised land, and he invites the people of God back into it. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, this is, this is how God is thinking about their life in the promised land. He says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, all this law that I've just given them, he says, be careful to do all the law, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. God put them in the promised land, a recreated Garden of Eden, so that they could multiply. And if you know how the story of God goes, or the the story of the people of God goes, it didn't take them long to reenact Genesis chapter 3, right? In Genesis chapter 3, they sinned against God. God kicked them out of the garden. And in the promised land, you have that reenacted. They turn from God. They sin against God. So then God kicks them back out of the promised land. Now they move into exile. But even there, in exile, out of the land that God has given them, they're no longer in the promised land. They have been been marched off by a foreign army into a foreign land. Even there, God is concerned about, and you see God's heart for multiplication. When Jeremiah is addressing the people of God in their captivity, in exile, Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, says, this is how you should be operating in exile. Even in this foreign land where you find yourself, this is how you should be operating. He says this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, this is just, I'm just trying to help us all see When you read the Old Testament, multiplication is woven in to God's world, and you see that as it's just woven into God's word. It's just all throughout the Old Testament, you're seeing God's heart for multiplication. You just can't miss it if you read the Old Testament. God is concerned about, and he is commanding his people, he is blessing his people, and he is saying multiply. Multiplication is woven into God's world. Now, part of what I love about reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I just, I hope you're a person that's reading both. It's really important that you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I love reading them beside one another. 
Because part of what the, Old, or the New Testament does is it will take this, this thought or this theme in the Old Testament and sort of polish it. In the Old Testament, that, that theme can be a little bit murky. It's not as clear as we would like for it to be. But the New Testament takes that theme, or that, that theme polishes it, shines it up so that we can see it with just crystal clear sort of clarity. Oh, that's what he meant by that. That's, that's, what, that's what's going on there. The New Testament has a way of doing that for us as we read the Old Testament and the New Testament combined. And it does it with this particular theme. In the Old Testament, there, it, when it comes to multiplication, the emphasis, when you're just reading it on the surface, is clearly a sort of physical procreation sort of emphasis. You see that sort of a heart for, of God just being emphasized. It would not be wrong to say God is looking at Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and telling them to, to have babies, to, to make babies, to fill the earth with those kids, like to have a lot of kids and to keep doing that and have kids that will have kids. And you, you can't get around. That's part of what it means there. But that's ne- that has never been the full sort of sense, the robust sense of what God means when he says be fruitful and multiply. When he is saying that, <clears throat> He is looking even beyond physical procreation, and that physical procreation is in a way like pointing us forward. It's a signpost pointing us forward to what Jesus has in store for his kingdom, for what what life in Jesus' kingdom is going to be like. Be fruitful and multiply in a way, is God saying, it's not just having babies. It's having babies that are going to be lovers of me, that are going to be disciples of me. And I want you to fill this earth from corner to corner with people who love and adore and, and are following me. That, that's the point. It's not just have babies. It's we want image bearers who love and adore and enjoy Jesus on every square inch of this planet. So you get to the New Testament, and this is why Jesus, in, in essentially a repeat of Genesis 1.28, this is kind of the New Testament polishing and, and making bright and brilliant. Genesis 128, be fruitful and multiply. When Jesus in Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples. That there's a polished Genesis 128. It's not just be fruitful and multiply. No, it's, it's make disciples. It, it's reproduce yourself. It's let's fill the, the whole globe with people who are disciples of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus in all of life with the power of the Spirit. Let's fill the world with people like that. that. That's what Jesus is saying. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses. Every follower of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus, Jesus is saying this to you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That, that's, that's what Jesus wants for us. He, he wants us to be disciples who are making disciples. Then you get to the book of Acts, and here's what we find in the book of Acts. This sort of multiplication DNA that's woven into the world that we see is also woven into the church, right? It's woven into the church. And we see that sort of multiplication DNA start to play out. What we see the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, multiplying. This is what you see in Acts 8, multiplication. People of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, multiplying. And they're multiplying by making disciples. Let me just give you some... uh, examples of this. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 and verse 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, they were multiplying in number, and the word of God, verse 7 of chapter 6, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The church 
is multiplying. What's woven into creation, woven into the world, is woven into the church. The church is multiplying. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is what you find throughout the book of Acts, that the kingdom of God multiplying. Acts chapter 13, verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Multiplication. Acts chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Multiplication. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. This is what we find throughout the scriptures. It's not just woven into creation and into the world that God made. It's woven into the church. God's looking at the church. He's looking at his kingdom and he's saying, my heart is for multiplication. Life in my kingdom is about multiplication. So this is how multiplication worked itself out in the book of Acts. Now think about how that's happening. It's, it's multiplying, multiplying, growing, growing, increasing, multiplying. This is, this is the sort of words used in the book of Acts for the church. Now how was that happening? Empowered by the Spirit, disciples of Jesus, lovers of Jesus, were talking about Jesus and they were making disciples of Jesus, then those disciples planted churches. Then in those new churches, th those disciples made more disciples, then they planted churches. Then those disciples in that new church made more disciples, and then they planted churches. And this is the pattern you see in the book of Acts. This is how multiplication happens in the kingdom of God. Disciples make disciples who plant churches. Then disciples make disciples in that new church that plant churches. Then disciples make disciples in that new church that plants churches. And this sort of humble beginning of the kingdom of God that begins to grow. And think about the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God. It started with two people in a garden, right? Two people in a garden. They wrecked everything in their sin. Then you have Jesus, one man who comes and lives perfectly in our place, dies on the cross for our sin, rose from the dead on the third day, essentially offering his life sowing his life as seed into the soil, dying, sowing his life into the soil so that multiplication, so that fruit could be born. One man dies on the cross, and then here is the ultimate fruit. When you get to the end of the Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 7. When you get to the end of the scriptures, this is, this is that biblical theme of multiplication as it's played itself out all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation now, and this is the full fruit of multiplica multiplication. This is that small seed turned massive tree. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. John, prophetically looking, gets this vision of heaven, and this is what heaven looks like for him. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I mean, th that's heaven. Humble beginnings, huge ending, like you're not going to be able to count the number of people in heaven. It's as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's, it's that many people. It's God fulfilling that promise of multiplication all the way back there to Abraham. John looks at heaven and he says, there's this great multitude and no one could number them. We, we can't even get our mind around how many people that, that's going to be a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the story of multiplication in the scriptures. And Stonegate, that is the very story that God has invited you and I into. That's the story that he's invited every one of his sons and daughters into. Part of what it means to be now in the kingdom of God, like a follower of Jesus, a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we multiply, that we are embracing God's heart for multiplication, that we are lining our life up with what life looks like inside the kingdom of God, this small little mustard seed into this huge mustard tree, right? We're just aligning our lives to what life inside the kingdom looks like. We're embracing that. A disciple multiplies. But we multiply. Like when we think about our life, when we think about the ambitions of our life, the wants of our life, the desires of our life, we're thinking in terms of multiplication. God, how can I sow my life into the kingdom so that it can multiply? A disciple multiplies. Now, I want to just take that story that we just heard in the scriptures that, that story of multiplication, and we'll just apply it in two particular ways, a personal way and a corporate way. So here's the personal way. What does that mean for us individually? What does it mean for you as a follower of Jesus, for me as a follower of Jesus? Personal application. Disciples make disciples. That, that's the personal application that we have to own on an individual level. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is that we make disciples. And the book of Acts shows us that sort of flow of disciple-making. And it comes in two forms, the flow of disciple-making. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. People need to meet Jesus, and then they need to mature in Jesus. It's a both-and. It's not just evangelism, and then we leave kind of the rest of it to somebody else. It's a both-and. That, that disciple-making means that, that people are meeting Jesus and that we're helping them grow up in Jesus. So let's just take the first part of that, meeting Jesus. Disciple-making begins when a person who loves Jesus gets around people who don't know Jesus and talks to them about Jesus. And then they trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, and that's save a human being. That's where disciple-making begins. A person who loves and adores Jesus, getting around people who don't know Jesus, talking about Jesus, and Jesus does what he loves to do. He loves to save and Jesus loves to do that when we open up our mouth and when we befriend people who are far from God. So this is where disciple-making starts when we, when we do that. It starts with this living, breathing awareness that God has made me to multiply. Um, just think about, do you think about yourself that way? I, when you think about yourself as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, do you think about it this way? God has made me as a Christian he has made me in such a way where multiplication should be happening. He's just, he's woven that into me, not just physically, but spiritually. He's woven, he's just, he's made me in such a way where multiplication should just ooze out of me. This is the way that we're made. So, so then it starts with us, with us owning that and us getting this living, breathing awareness that God has made me to multiply. And then in light of that, we just start to pray, God, Help me do that. 
God, I want to do that. I want to, I want to see myself multiplied. I, I, I want to see that happen like today. So God, would you arrange my steps today? God, would you providentially bring that person into my life who needs to be encouraged, that person who is far from God, far from you? Would you just providentially bring them into my life? God, would you, would you help a conversation about you emerge out of that sort of interaction? God, would you use me today for the rescue and salvation of another person? It just starts with us praying like that, just asking God to, to do that with us and for us and in us. It starts with praying, God, I want to multiply, so today, God, would you help me be a part of that sort of kingdom multiplication that you're doing right now? Now, one of the tools that we have that, that we just, we hope that every one of you will just embrace and just slide into your Bible as a bookmark is this guy. It's just called a top five card. It should be in the seat. Um, when you sit down. So why don't you just grab that real quick, and I just want to run through that with you and just show that to you. Just a simple top five card. And on one side that says top five, um, you'll see that it just gives you some space to write down uh, five names. And these are five names of people that you love, that you are desperate for Jesus to rescue and save. It's five people that kind of fit that bill for you, that that you are bumping into, that they're in and around your life in some way, shape, or form, and you are asking, you are just pleading with God to rescue them. Okay, so that, that would be five names on that. And by the way, this is meant to be a bookmark, so you can just slide it into wherever you're reading in the Bible so that you'll see it every day and just be reminded of those five names. So, so it's built to be that for you, to slide into your Bible as a bookmark. So that's the front side of the card. Then the back side of the card is the green side. And just flip it over and take a look at that really quickly. And there's just a, a five-step sort of strategy for what it is. For every name that you're writing down on the, the white side of that card, the green side of the card is, is basically talking about the commitment that we're making to those five names. And this is, if you just want to run through them, this is the commitment that we're making. To first of all, to pray for them. To, to pray that God would rescue and save, providentially arrange things in their life to wake them up to spiritual realities. That God would take their spiritually unresponsive heart, breathe life into it. They would cry out in faith to God and, and that God would rescue them. So that's the first thing, that we're going to pray for them. And then here's the second thing, number two, that we'll invest into a friendship with them. That we'll befriend them. Now, here is one of the problems that we have the longer you kind of follow Jesus and are kind of in the Christian life. One of the problems is we fill all of our relational slots with people who know Jesus and are already rescued by Jesus, right? So if you just kind of watch what the normal sort of like proclivity is and the normal sort of like gravitational pull in our life is like if you think of it like a Lego and think about that Lego that's got like eight pieces on it. Typically, people have somewhere between six and eight like deeper relational slots. And so uh, what we do as a Christian is we start, we jump into a church, we get, kind of jump into the life of church, all that, which is great. But, but what happens over time is all of our relational slots gets filled with other people who are already rescued and redeemed by Jesus, right? That is a pitfall that we need to be very careful of. We have to really work hard at keeping relational slots open for people who are far from God. Now, I work in a church that's even like hard. I mean, it just takes like real intentionality. I don't know what your life looks like, but we just all have to be really intentional to keep our life open to people who are far from, from Jesus. Um, I was laughing. One of the things Jimmy is doing right now is Jimmy joined like this little bowling thing. Like he's become like a bowler guy now. And, uh, and mainly for the sake of like, I've got to get out of a Christian bubble. 
right? Like I, I can't stay just all of my relational bandwidth kind of wrapped up in this cocoon. It's got to have some people that are far from God in that. So it's just being intentional. Uh, my wife, Laura, does such a great job at this. And, and so much of it, especially if you don't work in a church, is just as you're going. Like doing whatever you do, you're just thinking about how can I leverage this moment, these friendships, and this thing that I'm doing that could be work, that could, whatever you're doing. Um, so she's really involved in our kids' schools and all that. And so she's just up there a lot. And it's just where she's on mission. Like she's just keeping those relational slots open to people who are far from God. So we just have to be mindful of that. That, that when we write those names down, we're also saying, and yes, I want to befriend you. I, I, I want to I jump into a relationship with you. And then uh, thirdly, we invite them to Jesus. We're not just depending on other people to do that. We're going to take that. And man, isn't it a courageous step? I don't care how far, long you've been following Jesus, how big and bad you think you are. The moment you open your mouth about Jesus, there's a part of every one of us that gets really fearful. How's this going to go? What's this, it's fearful for me. Every time I open up my mouth and talk about Jesus with someone, I have to get over that sort of like fear in me. So we, we're going to open up our mouth and talk about Jesus. That's the third commitment. And then the fourth commitment, we're going to invite them to Stonegate and or to a group. We're just going to be people who are inviting. And here's one of the reasons why I think this is so important. Most people, before they're going to believe in Jesus, are going to need to belong to some people who believe in Jesus. So uh, I'll just give you an example of this in our, the home group that I'm in. Um, we had a guy show up about a year ago, and, um, and he was far from God. Right? I mean, he was, he was a good ways from Jesus. And he showed up, and he kind of showed up begrudgingly. He was kind of drugged there, right? I mean, he, he didn't really want to be there, but he, he ended up being there. And you know what happened over time? He actually started to kind of like us. I mean, it was kind of amazing. Like, we actually became friends like, we'd grab lunch pretty often. I mean, we just became friends. He actually kind of liked us. And you know what he got to see inside of a group of people that love Jesus? Belief in Jesus, in a way, became plausible. And most people need that. We need to be around the people that, that we belong to where, where belief in Jesus, life with Jesus, actually becomes plausible. So that just leads to moments where we're getting to have lunch and we're getting to talk about Jesus in our life and in his life. And that led to a moment here recently where... Um, we got to have that conversation again of like, where, do you, where are you in terms of faith with Jesus? And we're recognizing that he's put his faith in Jesus. And then back this last October, um, one of the guys in our home group got to baptizing. I mean, I, I just, I want that for every one of us. I want that for every one of our home groups. For you to be encouraged in that way, for you to be a part of those sort of things. I, I used this story uh, the first week of this set of sermons, but I was talking about one of my favorite pastors. He would always comment that his dad was the happiest person that he had ever been around. And one time, pastor guy asked his dad, what, what is the key to being so happy? And I don't know if you remember what he said a few weeks ago. Pastor, you know, the, the guy's dad, who's the happiest guy he'd ever known, looked back and just without hesitation said, tell people about Jesus. Like, that's the key. If you want to, like, have a life of a lot of joy in Jesus, just start telling people about Jesus. I mean, I've just, I want you to know, I'm praying for that for you. You just need to mark down, this February, we're going to do another baptism service. And I'm just, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for me, that, that this February, you would get a chance to send in those baptism waters with somebody. That somebody in your home group would get a chance. That, that this year, you would get a chance. That we would just so embrace God's heart for multiplication that we would just launch into that and just with desperation pray, God, I want to see myself multiplied. 
So God, whatever it takes, will you help me in the next quarter, in the next year, be used for that? God, I, just, I want that so bad for you, for us as a church to see more of that, for us to be multiplying our lives into others. And then we get a chance to, to mature. It's people meeting Jesus and then maturing in Jesus. Once a person meets Jesus, they get plugged into a home group. They get plugged into to someplace where they can serve and use their gifts. That's commitment four and five, where they're using their gifts to serve the body. And then you know what happens? That person who was far from Jesus, that now is near to Jesus, starts talking to other friends who are far from Jesus. And Jesus saves. And then they get to stand in the baptism waters with someone. And then that friend that just is now near to Jesus starts talking to people who are far from Jesus about Jesus and God saves and they could send the baptism water to someone. And just on and on you have that there's multiplication. That this is God's heart for you. This, God has made you for that. To see yourself multiplied in the kingdom. Disciples make disciples. And let's just pray that God would give us a burden for that. I want to see our lives multiplied in those sorts of ways. That's the personal application. Now, let me end with the corporate application of that. So personally, we all have to own disciples make disciples. Corporately, and this is what we see in Acts. Disciples make disciples, and then churches plant churches. Disciples make disciples who are making disciples. They're assembled into a church, and then that church sends out people to plant a church. Disciples make disciples, churches plant churches. This is how multiplication in the kingdom of God works. One of my favorite scenes in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 13. It's one of the most important moments in the history of the church. In 2,000 years of church history, Acts 13 is like the moment that propelled the church forward into multiplication. Uh, the church uh, in Antioch, this is Acts 13, um, they were a thriving, vibrant ministry. So in other words, they're looking for leaders. They're trying to care for their people. They're trying to like um, build disciple-making mechanisms in their church. They're desperate for like good leaders to kind of help their church do what God has called their church to do. But they had, a, they had a mindset and a view that said, no, we can't just be about this place. We've got to have our view out there. Like we're not just going to be a healthy church. We're going to be a church that is planting churches. And so this church in Antioch took two of their best leaders, Paul and Barnabas. Now, I'm just saying, if, if you're like a growing church and you're like, it's going well and you're thriving and you need people to kind of help the, the church kind of do what God has called the church to do, you're going to be looking at Paul and Barnabas and thinking, there's two people I'm not letting go. Th those two guys right there need to be right here at home base, helping home base be really solid. But no, that's not the church in Antioch. They're like, no, let's find our best two leaders and let's send out our best two leaders to go plant a church to help spark a church planting movement. And so this is what they do. They, 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 they send out their best people because it's not about the Antioch empire. It's about Jesus's kingdom. And then those, Paul and Barnabas, they start planting churches. And then those churches start planting churches. And then that church that was planted plants that church. Then that church plants that church. Then that plant, you know, church plants that church. Now just think about this. We're sitting here a couple of thousand years later in a church how did that happen? How did that happen? You know how that happened? That church planted that church, planted that church, planted that church, until a church in, um, in Arlington, right off of uh, Little Road and, and or, you know, 287 and Little Road, right, right there in that little corner, 
until a church called Tate Springs was planted. Now, I just want to, I want to map this out for you, how, how, how it is that we sit here, that that church, all the way from Acts 13, church is being planted, being planted, and bam, here comes Tate Springs in South Arlington. And then one day, uh, by the way, a guy named Charles Clary ended up being the pastor there at Tate Springs. And one day a guy shows up in Charles Clary's office. His name was Dwight McKissick. And he wanted to plant a church in South Arlington. And Charles Clary looked at him and said, yes, we'll do that. And that church was planted. It was called Cornerstone Church in South Arlington. Then another guy shows up and wants to plant a church. And Charles helped him. It was this church called South Oaks, right off 287 there in, in kind of South Arlington. And then another guy shows up, and Charles helps him plant a church. And that church got uh, going up in Arlington. Now it's in Arlington and Mansfield called Rush Creek. And then here comes another guy. He was actually on staff at Take Springs, so one of their best leaders. And he decides that God has called him, and they agree that God has called him to plant a church. And they send him out to plant a church in Mansfield called Walnut Ridge. Now, in 2002, I just finished... um, uh, my undergraduate at OU, Boomer Sooner. Come on, Boomer Sooner. There we go. Uh, don't hate me for it. <clears throat> uh, in 2002, and I got hired to do student ministry at that church in Mansfield uh, called Walnut Ridge. And I was there for about seven years, and I was privileged to be a part of a church that wanted to plant churches. So they, uh, they looked at me seven years in and said, let's plant you. They were able to send me with a core group of people of 20 or 25 people to plant right here in Midlothian, and there it was in 2009, we planted Stonegate Church. So there's that church that happens. Now, let's think about our last nine years of history as a church. Planted in 2009, here are some of the things that have happened over the last nine years. In nine years, we have played a hand in roughly 20 churches, a little over 20 churches being planted. And let me just run through some of these churches for you. <clears throat> Jim Essien over at the Paradox Church in Fort Worth. Ross Appleton at Christ Community Church. All of these we have helped in some sort of way with coaching, funding, in some sort of way. Ross Appleton, Christ Community Church up in Denton. Jeremy Pace, Christ City Church in Dallas. Ben Conley over at uh, City Church in Fort Worth. Jeff Lawrence, Redemption Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Jason Brewer, Mercy Church up in Frisco. John Murphy, Veritas Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Aaron Fair in Southeast Asia, Pastor Sudhakar in Hyderabad, India, William Subosh in Bangalore, India, Dustin Neely, it's Refuge Church in Franklin, Tennessee, Jason Hatch at Redeemer Midland uh, in Midland, Texas, Dan Romer in Bath, England, Micah Caswell, Redeemer Denton, there in Denton, Texas, uh, Raphael at City Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Josh Elsom at Soma Church uh, down in Waxahachie, uh, Ryan Keeney at Grace Church in Benbrook. That's, that's 17, 18 churches there that, that we've had a hand in planting. You know what I love about the, those churches right there? Some of them are already planting daughter churches. You, you have that moment of like just that kingdom multiplication, just growing and growing and growing. Little seed turned into massive tree. And then for some, though, we have brought in on a deeper level as church planting residents. So our first church planting resident was a guy named Casey Maddox. We uh, brought him in for about two years and then sent him to Lawrence, Kansas, where he planted Free City Church. And they're just doing well. They're blowing and going, just, just doing great up in Lawrence, Kansas. And, uh, and then we brought in a guy named Brad Marvin and uh, planted him up in uh, Arlington at a church called Restore Church. And then we brought in Devian Valentine, and uh, he was here for a while. And then we planted him up in Cedar Hill at a church called Omni Fellowship. They planted a, a couple of years ago. 
Now, let me just in particular say something about Omni, because we're at a really interesting just moment and point with them. They're at this sort of pivotal moment where uh, they are about to move into a new facility. They've been meeting in the Cinemark, and uh, they found a building there in Cedar Hill that we think will be a good place for them to kind of just, for, for them to have a good base for mission in that area to reach Cedar Hill. And uh, they are short some funds to make that happen. Um, they don't have all the money they need to do that. And so I said this uh, last week that on Christmas Eve, we're going to give our whole Christmas Eve offering for the sake of church planting. And here's why we want to do that. Um, because this thing is not about Stonegate's empire. It's about Jesus' kingdom. And so we want to be a church with open hands that can help step into other places, other churches to help them get what they need to get down the road. And, and, and I would love to see us on Christmas Eve be able to give a check of $50,000 to Omni to help them get into a new base for mission. So that's what we're doing. We're going to take up that offering on Christmas Eve. Everything we give or get on that day, everything we corporately give together is all going to go to help church planting, in particular Omni, get into a new base for mission where multiplication can just keep on happening, keep on happening, keep moving forward, and keep moving forward. Now, I want to say this again. Why is that? Because God has made us to multiply, right? I mean, this is, as a church, God's made us to do that sort of thing. It is not about just this church doing well and thriving. A mark of a healthy church is that church will multiply. It's not about our empire. It's about Jesus' kingdom. And let me give you just one more just tidbit of just good news for our church family. I said this a minute ago that we oftentimes bring in church planting residents. Um, it's one of the things I love most about our church. We get to bring people in for 18 to 24 months. We get to do everything we can to equip them and then send them with, with some of our people to plant churches in our area. And we have just finished assessing another person to come in as a church planting resident. Um, he's green-lighted it, we've green-lighted it, so we're just right there at the finish line of making this thing go. So I wanted to put their picture up on the screen for you. Um, this is Derek and Rachel Kimes. And they are looking to plant um, in West Burleson, that area. We think it's going to be a really great area to plant a church. And so they are pushing their chips in with us. We're pushing our chips in with them. They're going to be here for the foreseeable future as we're doing this sort of equipping work to get them ready to send uh, to plant a church over in West Burleson. So I just want you to know that, be praying for that. And so isn't it a joy to get to play a part like that in the planting of churches? I can't believe that God gives us chances like that to get to do that in the kingdom of God. If you can just take a moment to dream with me, and we'll just finish with this. Just dream with me for a second. Over our first nine years, we've played a part in over 20 churches being planted. And the first nine years of any church's lives are typically the most difficult. And we've been able to play a part in about 20 churches being planted. What might God have for us in the next one, two, three decades of our life together? What, what might God have for us? Might God have another hundred churches in our future that we get to play a part in planting? Maybe another hundred? I mean, just do the math on that. If, if they average about 400 people, that, that would be roughly 40,000 human beings, little boys and little girls, aunts and uncles, moms and dad, meeting Jesus and growing up in Jesus. And then what happens when those hundred churches begin to plant churches? And those churches begin to plant churches. And those churches begin to plant churches. It's that humble seed turning to massive tree. 
Now, I think we're, we could all say, are, do, do we really think God could use us for that? Do we really think that, 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 might, that might be what God would have for us? And my answer is, I don't know. But I'm willing to give my life, my time, my energy, my effort to find out. And I'm just looking at us as a church together and asking you to do that. Will you give your life, your time, your energy, your effort to see the kingdom of God multiplied? Amen? Let's pray together. Let me give you just a moment for the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. And what would be your what would be that step toward Jesus that, that you need to take today? What is that step? For some in the room, <clears throat> that sort of first decisive step is to put your faith in Jesus, to be rescued by Jesus. You've been thinking about it for a while. You've been kicking the tires on it. And this is your day. This is your day to turn from your sin and to throw your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if that's you, just right there where you are, you can pray that to God. You can offer your life up to him. You can say to God, God, here is my life. Save me. Rescue me. I'm trusting and banking on Jesus for that. And God stands here with arms wide open and ready to do that. And for others in the room, we need to receive from God that sort of multiplying heart. We need to ask hard questions about what does it mean to be a disciple who makes disciples? But what does it mean for my heart to ache for people who don't know Jesus? Church, I, I think we all, we all gravitate toward the trivial in our life. And, and sometimes we just need the scriptures to shake us back to the big things in life. And I, here's, here's one of the big things in life. Apart from Jesus, people are going to die and go to hell. May that, may that awaken something in us. May that put in us th this deep burden for multiplication, to see that not happen. So, oh God, would you speak to us? Would you talk to us? God, would you help us be a multiplying people, a multiplying church? God, would you give us deep aches and burdens? May we take that top five card, fill that out, and labor in prayer over it. And today, I'm so grateful we get to finish by taking communion today. And I'm so grateful because communion is showing us, it's a visible picture of the price Jesus paid for multiplication. In John 12, Jesus is commenting on his death, and he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But, but if it does die, if it falls into the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. And that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus there, body broken, blood spilled, is the seed that died so multiplication could happen. So, so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. 
so that heaven could be filled with the multitude that no one could number of every tribe, nation, and tongue. When we take communion today, we are being reminded of the sacrifice Jesus has made for multiplication. So, oh God, enable us, empower us today through the, through the power of your spirit. And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.